0: Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7, this morning, we have been speaking the last several weeks on this sermon series entitled, Heroes. Uh, If you're not very familiar with it, Hebrews chapter 11, many people call it different things, but many people call it the Hall of Fame, or I, I choose to call it the Hall of Faith. It speaks of many great Old Testament saints who, through faith, did great things for God. And by the way, the overarching theme of the whole chapter is, without faith, you can't do anything great for God. And so, as we've been studying it, we've talked over the last few weeks, we started in verses 1 through 3, and we really spoke about what faith is, what faith does, and what faith allows. That's why the Bible says, for faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a description of ...of faith in the Christian life. It's not some figment of our imagination. It's not the magic fairy dust that allows us to get all of our wishes granted. Many people treat God more like the genie in a bottle of of Aladdin... ...than they do actually the sovereign God of the world. But that's not what faith is. It does not somehow bring into captivity the things that we desire for our future... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It allows us the privilege of accepting every word of God without any doubt. That's what faith allows us to do. And that's why Genesis chapter or, or I'm sorry Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 speaks of the great creation and how we can accept even the most difficult of biblical truths because of our faith. Then we spoke about Abel in verse number 4. He was the very first man who ever really walked by faith. Cain had the opportunity, but he chose to reject that opportunity. Abel taught us a worship lifestyle or the way of worship and uh, how you enter into the Christian life. And then Enoch last week in Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 5. He was the man that walked with God and was not. He was translated he taught us how to walk the Christian life by faith. He shows us how to live each and every day by faith. Verse number 7 this week we come to one of the most famous Sunday school lessons that you probably heard growing up many, many times. You probably saw the flanagraphs or if you're a millennial, maybe a PowerPoint presentation on this particular Uh, person in the Old Testament. The Bible says in verse number 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now it's pretty unique to me that Basically, the Hebrew writer attempts to encapsulate Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 in one single verse. And that's a pretty difficult task. So, I mean, I take three verses and speak on them for about three hours. This man takes uh, all these chapters of tremendous, tremendous Bible and he reduces it down to one verse. And you say, Brother Andrew, why does he do that? Well, there is an assumption made by the writer that you are familiar with the account of the flood. You see, he's writing to a bunch of Hebrews who no doubt know their Pentateuch inside and out. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They no doubt know what he's talking about. So he doesn't have to go into great detail about the flood record. But he does point to this man Noah and the faith that he displayed. If we have labeled our heroes so far as Abel being a man who had a lasting legacy and Enoch a man who had a pleasing pace a walk that pleased God we would label Noah as the man who was a loyal laborer. A loyal laborer. This last week I had not mentioned it because I planned to mention it in my sermon, but we had about 45 loyal laborers all week long at our Vacation Bible School. We had a tremendous Vacation Bible School. We really appreciate if you brought your kids to it. Um, If they're still surviving, we we accomplished our main priority. That was really the goal, number one, is to get kids back safely to the parents. But we had a great vacation Bible school. The last night of of VBS, we had uh, about 270 people in this auditorium, not including our own workers, by the way, so 45 on top of that, about 270 people in this auditorium who got to hear the gospel. Every night we had classes, some upwards of uh, 30 and 40 kids in classes. One night we had one class, the first night, with 61 7-, 8-, and 9-year-olds in it. And we immediately split that class and tried to uh, fix that situation. Anytime you put that many 7-, 8-, and 9-year-olds in a room, uh, either the teacher's going to go crazy or you're going to have a murder spree, one of the two. So we decided to resolve that issue right away. We had a great week at VBS, we had uh, some, some kids saved, we got to present the gospel to all those many people, it was just a real blessing, but many people have come up to me afterward and said, you know, Brother Andrew, what a great week, what a blessing, thank you for your leadership, and I just, I just flat told him, I said, look, without the people who ran their departments, I'm just speaking to an empty room giving instructions. The people who were in leadership, who were faithfully there at teachers' meeting, and faithfully there to teach and lead their class, and faithfully there to uh, make sure no problems occurred, those were the people who really made our VBS great this week. Now, it wasn't without problems. I remember one night I passed Amy in the hall. This last week, me and Amy passed each other in the hall, and that was basically our date night when we passed each other in the hall hall. But uh, I remember one night, I passed Amy in the hallway, and she had a white, uh, like a see-through trash bag, and there were some clothes and towels and other things in it, and I I was, taking out the trash, huh? She said, no, uh, a kid had diarrhea. (laughs) And I said, and that's why I'm the director, (laughs) We had people in our nursery, we had bloody noses, I mean, we had all sorts of problems go on, and yet our loyal laborers just were faithful to be in the place that they were supposed to be in. They did a fantastic job, and I'm incredibly thankful for them. That's what Noah was, a loyal laborer. And as exhausted as we may be over a five-day span of vacation Bible school, and by the way, I was exhausted. As exhausted as we may be, guess what? Noah showed up to work every day for at least 75 years. Every day. A loyal laborer. But the Bible makes very clear, because he's in this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible makes clear that he was not a great man because of discipline. See, a lot of people want to teach that the Christian life is a life of discipline. It's not. You and I do not have enough discipline about us to walk the walk we need to live for Christ. We just don't. You say, I'm a military guy. Well, you can be a military guy and fall too. It's not about discipline. The Bible does not say, and because Noah's in this chapter, it's not saying he was a man of high character. No, that's not what it's saying. Noah is listed here, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he was a man of faith. Take your Bible to Genesis chapter number 6 this evening, or this morning, and we'll study a few lessons from the life of Noah that his faith teaches us today. A few lessons from the life of Noah that his life teaches us today. Number one, in chapter number 6 of Genesis, his life teaches us that faith accepts God's word. Now, I know I've said this, we've basically preached this point once before, but you'll find that this is a repetitive theme throughout this series, that faith accepts God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the the verse we just turned from, the Bible says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things as not yet seen. So, Noah had been warned by God of things which he had not seen, of things which had never occurred in human history. Here's a few things that had never occurred. Number one, it had never rained in human history. Number two, God had never sent a universal judgment like this in human history. Uh, there had never been a boat made in human history. And yet God comes to Noah and warns him of this oncoming flood, and Noah accepts it by Faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing. Do you know the rest of that verse? And hearing by the Word of God. As I've studied this passage and these sermons and these lessons out, you know what I've realized? Faith and the Word of God are absolutely and inseparably linked. Faith that occurs outside of God's uh, word is a faith that is not biblical. Somebody trying to muster up faith because they want to accomplish their goal, if, for instance, uh, one thing that really, really, really frustrates me is when a tragedy occurs, and people who who, began, who, who do not live a Christian life, who are not Christian at all, they'll, they'll make a statement like this: thoughts and prayers. Well, who are you praying to? Because faith in a prayer outside of God's Word is a prayer that gets no higher than the ceiling. What is faith? Faith and the Word of God are absolutely and inseparably linked. Four different times in the life of Noah, God speaks directly. To him. First of all, in verse number 14, we'll find that God tells Noah, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. God comes to Noah and says, Hey, Noah, here's what I need you to do. I need you to make an ark because I'm going to destroy the world. And there's really three reasons that Noah could have been skeptical. Number one, he could have been skeptical because of God's destruction. Have you ever noticed we do not like to believe things we don't want to believe? I'll give you an example. When you're driving down the road and the check engine light comes on in your car, we have trouble believing that it's truly the check engine light. We, we just want to think, well, maybe it's a faulty sensor. Surely there could be nothing wrong with the, with the, with the car itself. And maybe the, the tire sensors, I mean, they're a very handy thing. But man, when one of them boogers goes out, you'll, you'll wrestle with that the rest of your life. I mean, trying to get this tire sensor back. Hey, you put all the air it needs, and yet the tire sensor. So when the tire sensor comes on, we just say, oh, no, it's just a sensor. They're, the tire's not low of air. There's no way. Sometimes we have trouble buying into the things that we don't want to believe already. And, and that's what we find here is Noah probably didn't want to believe that God was going to destroy the world. Even though Noah was a righteous man living in a very wicked society, what I kind of think is Noah at least pitied the people that were around him. Some people have estimated that if you were to uh, assign to the world at this time the same population growth as what Noah, or as what was experienced in 2000, in the year 2000, there would have been approximately 750 million people on the earth at this time. We get this idea that there's like just three or four families or tribes. This is, uh, people have estimated 750 million, and if, You were to grow that by just one thousandth of a percent, accounting for the exceedingly long lives that they lived. Some have estimated that over four billion people may have been on the earth at this time. And yet God comes to Noah and says, hey Noah, I'm going to destroy the entire world. I'm just going to save you and your family. Noah could have just said, you know what, that's not something I really want to believe, so I'm, I'm I'm not going to accept that. But yet he did accept that. He did accept it. Why? Because it was God's word. There was people in Peter's day when when Peter would say of the return of the Lord and speak of the return of the Lord. They would say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep and all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Hey, Peter, we're going to use our history as a way to forecast the future. And that's what these people could have done. They could have just said, well, uh, it's never rained before. We've never needed a boat before. And so Noah could have just doubted and been skeptical that God truly was going to send destruction. Number two, he could have been skeptical, skeptical about God's decree. In verse number 14, the Bible says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Now, it's interesting to note that So far, God has not told him that a flood was coming. He gives instructions before he gives the reason for the instructions. You see what I'm saying? It's odd to me that God would say, Hey, Noah, go build an ark. And then later on tell him, And this is the reason you need an ark, Because I'm going to send rain upon the earth, And the, the earth's going to flood. That doesn't happen until verse 17. And when you take a deeper look into it, The word ark in Hebrew does not mean boat. And to call the ark a boat would be very generous. In fact, what the word in Hebrew means is a chest. A box, really. It had no rudder. It had no way of propulsion. There were no sails. There were no... uh, 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 Not row sticks. What do we call those things? Oars. I have a boat, by the way. I own a boat. Two of them, actually. And... Hey, JT, hand me one of those row sticks over here. We need to get some propulsion. Uh, That's real, real impressive. I took a boating course too, and that's what I could come up with. Amen. Praise the Lord. It had no way of advancing, no captain, no navigator, no compass, just one big hole in the roof that pointed to heaven. Why in the world would, would Noah think that this was a boat? Essentially, God came to Noah and said, Hey, Noah, I need you to build a Wooden box. Noah had never seen anything float on water like this. Noah had never seen a boat. He'd never needed it before. You say, what are you getting at, Brother Andrew? I'm trying to tell you that Noah could have just as easily assumed that this was a storm shelter as he could as it was a floating vessel. I mean, I remember Dr. Watson, man. Dr. Watson was on staff for several years after I came on staff here. And I remember, man, if the wind got over 15 miles an hour, Dr. Watson was checking out for the day. And he's going to go get in his storm shelter in Joshua. I'm talking about, hey, you know the sirens that go, the tornado sirens? If a car passed by and honked its horn, Dr. Watson was already in his car. Sirens! The sirens occurred! I heard them! And he was going to the storm shelter. And Noah could have thought that this was just a chest, a box for him and his family to get in. And by the way, God says, hey, Noah, I need you to make a box just for you and your family. And then he says, but I need you to make it this big. See, not only could Noah have been skeptical uh, skeptical about God's decree and God's destruction, but he could have been skeptical about God's design. It's one thing to build an ark big enough for you and your sons and their wives and your wife. It's an entirely other thing to make one as big as what God had said to make it. Some had said that uh, the ark, and I think it's Kentucky, is that right? In Kentucky, they built their ark 510 feet long. 80 feet, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. And that's supposed to be an exact replica of what Noah would have built. That's one and a half football fields, three stories high. Some have calculated that if you were to make an equivalent of capacity, that you could put 522 railroad cars or shipping containers inside of the ark. And that's what Noah and his family were tasked to do. You say, why are you giving me all these? I feel like I'm in a Sunday school lesson. Why are you giving me all these statistics? I'm trying to help you realize that sometimes the plan that God has is not one that we want. And our purpose in that plan does not make us feel comfortable. You see, Noah said, Lord, I don't want you to destroy the world. I mean, Jake's not a very good neighbor, but at least he's a neighbor. I don't want you to destroy the world. And God, I I don't want you to have to make me build this ark to save my family. I'm not even sure a box is going to do it. And beyond that, Lord, how am I going to build one this gigantic? Very rarely will we like the place where God has us uh, to serve unless we are doing it with a heart of faith. That's what Noah did. He accepted these extreme impossibilities because God's word had told him, Hey Noah, you can do this with my power. Notice in verse number 22, a verse that doesn't get spoken of very much in Genesis chapter 6. Out of all of this doubt that could have crept into his mind, we find in verse number 22, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. What faith Noah must have had. Not only does faith allow us to uh, accept God's word, but faith announces God's judgment. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the Bible says, By which he condemned the world. This labor, this work, this, this ark, the building of the ark, he was condemning the world every single day. Number one, he did it by his work. Every day he went to labor on the ark, and every day people saw him, and every day they made fun of him and criticized him. Every day, day that's probably the talk of town. Can you imagine all these little farming communities around, and, and, and maybe some big cities? We know that Cain started the first city, so there were definitely some major cities at this point, but, but can you imagine looking outside the city on the horizon, every day you just see one more level added to the ark? You see more wood being brought to the ark. You see more work happening over there. It's kind of like when uh, Jerry World was being built. And now we have the Texas Rangers new stadium, uh, the ballpark at Arlington, version 2.0. You'll never get me to call it the Globe Life Park or Field. You'll never get me to do that. It's the ballpark at Arlington, Okay. And, uh, and right now, if you go up there, you'll see the big cranes, and they're working on the new field. But when Jerry World was being built, AT&T Stadium, I mean, that was such a huge undertaking. You could see that thing for miles and miles around. I do my very best to, say, to stay south of Fort Worth. But when I do go north of Fort Worth, I use Jerry World as a navigational marker. If you fly into Dallas, Fort Worth, I, I'll be looking out the window. I'm like, there's a football field. Is that a, is that a college field? No, 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 that's just a high school field. You know, Texas, we love our football. And I'll look down and I'll be looking at all these fields. But I'll never, never, never mistake Jerry World. Why? Well, number one, it looks a little bit like a toilet or an alien ship. But it's unmistakable. We can see it from miles and miles around. And that's the way this arc would have been. These people would have gone out to see it. And yet Noah would have been working. His sons would have been working. Everybody had been working on the boat, uh, on the ark there. And, and every day it was an announcement of God's impending judgment. And so Matthew chapter 24 says, the Bible says, For as in the days that were before the flood, they, that means everybody else, were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Meaning every day their lives went on as normal. But every day Noah went to the ark and went to work and followed God's plan in faith. His work testified of his faith. Hey, by the way, what have you been doing for God lately? I mean, what work have you been doing for God? There's a lot of reasons to need a local church, but there's no greater reason than this, to have a place to serve the Lord. This week I was moved as we got a text message when we got home and we got some pictures on our phone. And one of the young ladies that was working vacation Bible school texted us and said... Uh, Brother Andrew, Miss Amy, I, as I was looking at these pictures, I just began to cry and weep because I saw kids looking at screens and singing a song about God's faithfulness. And I just, it overwhelmed me the fact that we had the opportunity to help these kids understand that truth of God is faithful. Amen. Amen. Moved to tears. And my wife looked at me and said, And that's why we serve. Amen. Amen. What have you been doing in your work for God lately? In our politically correct world, nobody likes to talk about words like judgment or lost. And nobody likes to admit that someone must be right. And if somebody is right, then that means others are wrong. I mean, we just all kind of exist in this world where everybody's okay. But I'm just telling you, the Bible speaks very plainly of an impending judgment from God. It spoke of it in Genesis chapter 6, and it speaks of it in the New Testament, the, the flood of Noah was a precursor to a much worse judgment that is coming to this earth. The first judgment happened by water, the next judgment happens by fire. What are you doing in your work for the Lord that, that, that helps others come to know of this judgment? See, not only did he uh, announce God's judgment by his work, but he did it by his words. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Amen. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but the word preach in the New Testament in Greek is the Greek word kerux. It literally means to, it describes a herald. It means to lift up your voice. You say, Brother Andrew, why do you preach so loud? Uh, because that's what the Bible tells me to do. Lift up my voice as the sound of a trumpet and proclaim God's word. Keruk. And I'm not criticizing those that never raise their voice. I'm telling you, uh, Dr. House does not raise his voice very much. But every time he preaches, I feel like he slaps me in the face with a God hammer. I don't know if y'all have ever done that. I mean, his conviction occurs. And what he's doing is he's lifting his voice to tell you about what God's word says. You say, Brother Andrew, why do you preach so fast? Because I don't don't know another gear. I just, I wish I knew. But you see, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And here's what's special about this. It's one thing to have a faithful work. You know, he's going to work on the boat every day. But what enhanced Noah's message was that his labor matched up with his message. What he said and what he did... We're one in the same. You with me? We have a lot of preachers nowadays that preach one thing and live another. We have a lot of Christians that on Sunday their life displays one way and Monday through Saturday displays another altogether. That's not the way it should be. Our message is only enhanced by our mission. The way we enact our faith is not only by what we say, but by what we live. James chapter 2, a very difficult passage for many people to overcome when they're reading through it. And it says, you see how Abraham was justified by works and not by faith. And we read that and so many people have trouble understanding that passage. You know what it is? Here's the key. James looks at the reader and says, hey, you say you have faith without works, I will show you my faith by my works. Amen. My walk will match my talk. If you say you can do it without that, I don't believe you. For without faith, or for without works, faith is dead being alone. You can't have faith without works. And what Noah did was he committed to God's plan for himself and his witness and his work were one and the same. Faith not only accepts God's word, we can accept everything that God says because faith allows us to. Faith also announces God's judgment. We all have to be active in pronouncing that one day the Lord will return and those without him will be on their way to hell. We must announce that judgment. But here's thirdly what Noah did, and if you'll take your Bible back to Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to see this. Faith apprehends God's salvation. Verse number 7, the Bible says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, that's he accepted God's word, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, that's him announcing God's judgment, and became heir of the righteousness of which is by faith. You see, throughout the course of history, there have been two ways that man has somehow surmised salvation. They have one very natural way and one very biblical way. Throughout the course of human history, from literally Cain and Abel, it's separated at that moment. You had Cain who offered an offering that was based upon his works, what he could prepare, what he could present, that is a works-based salvation. And you had Abel, who when he brought his offering, Abel was not the one on trial. You with me? There is a deep theological truth there if you'll hear what I'm saying. When Abel brought his offering, he was not the one on trial, his offering was. The offering was found acceptable to God, not able. You say, how does that apply to me? It, it applies to you because when we come to God the Father, we are not the ones on trial. Our offering is. And when we come to God the Father, our offering is the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless blood of the Lamb of God. For we are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by His precious blood He has saved us. And when we come to God the Father, we do not come seeing God, hey, am I good enough to come to you? For none of us are good enough to get there. The only way we are accepted in God's throne room is by grace through faith and the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And when our, tri- when our offering is placed on trial before God, if it is the Lord Jesus Christ, we are found accepted before Him. But if our offering is anything else, good works, charity, morality, being a good person, trying to do the right thing, all of this is unacceptable before God. Amen. What we find is Noah is the Old Testament object lesson of the doctrine of salvation or justification by faith. Justification by faith. You say, Brother Andrew, I have trouble believing that God could love me so much that He came to die for me. I have trouble believing that everything that I've ever done in my past, all the skeletons that I've tried to hide from and run from, all the record sheets and all the things that all my high school friends remember, I have trouble believing that God could somehow wipe that all away and accept me as if I am some kind of spiritual giant and accept me in the same family as Paul and and Peter and Noah and Abraham and Moses. I, I have trouble believing that I could be accepted in the same family as those men. You know the reason you have trouble believing it is because you have not accepted it by faith. For God says this in his word. Now the just shall live by faith. God says this, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You can't be good enough. You can't do good enough. You can't. If you try that, you will always be on the hamster wheel of never satisfying your own demands, much less God's demands. What we must understand is Noah was a man who even in Genesis, the Bible said, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was an object lesson of faith. In America, there is a tremendous debt problem. Not only our nation is in debt, I think if you've ever... Pulled up our national debt calculator, if you've ever seen that. Uh, It's just constantly clicking into the billions and billions of dollars. Now, last time I looked, it was something like 14, 15 trillion dollars. And that was several years ago. I didn't even take the time to look. But it just clicks off as fast as you can. And it's not the dollars, or the tens of dollars, or the thousands of dollars, or the tens of thousands, or the hundreds of thousands. It's literally the millions of dollars that just click off at this pace our nation has a tremendous debt problem. But more than our nation, the citizens of our nation have a tremendous debt problem. We have all, or many of us, have lived off of what we could borrow, and therefore we deal with the weight of that. In the last quarter of 2018, Americans owed a total of $870 billion in credit card debt alone. When other sources of revolving credit are factored in, that's over $1 trillion of debt that American citizens owe. The average credit card balance in America by the end of 2018 was $6,040. And here was the saddest statistic to me. 15% of families spend more money each month than they receive. My dad taught me a long time ago, if your outgo is more than your income, your upkeep will be be your downfall. If you spend more money than you have coming in, eventually somebody's going to call, somebody's going to ring the bell. And a lot of people just use their credit card to float to the next month and they, they push it off one one more month. I think about one out of every six people do this where they don't have enough money coming in. So they they use their credit card to get by and very rarely pay anything on the principal of their credit cards. They just pay the interest payment. We have a tremendous credit problem and debt problem in America. But what I think this lesson that we learned this morning is in the life of Noah, I think that is a perfect illustration for us to understand what a works-based faith, or what a a works-based salvation is. It is living each month with a higher debt than we have income. You with me? Trying to get to heaven... By works or by doing good or any other way apart from faith in what God has promised. For God said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God sent His Son into the world, not that the world could be condemned, but that the world was condemned already. But light came into the world. That was the condemnation, that light came into the world. And men loved their darkness, loved their deeds more than they loved light. They they rejected Christ. And so God's Word promises, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Any other method is this trying to work it out each month only to realize that you're short. And then the next month it snowballs and you're short again. And then the next month it snowballs and you're short again. Always bearing around on your shoulders the weight of not knowing whether you're on your way to heaven. This morning if I told you that I was going to stick an orange in in someone's tailpipe in the parking lot, I was going to walk around and pick at random and just stick an orange in someone's tailpipe. Do you think it would be wise for you to go look at your tailpipe before you cranked your car this morning? I think it would be worth a look. And oftentimes, what happens when we come to church, we've sat in church services for years and years and years. We've heard thousands and thousands of salvation plans. And every time the preacher asks us to raise our hand if we're saved, we just do it out of habit what I'm asking you today is check your tailpipe. Just check. Is there anything wrong with going to the Lord and saying, Lord, confirm in my spirit. The Bible says his spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Check, Check it out. Check the tailpipe this morning. And I'm afraid, and preacher and I have had this conversation, I've had this conversation with a lot of men in my life, a lot of spiritual men I believe a lot of modern day Christians in America are working their way to heaven and they don't even realize it. No faith in the actual sacrifice and the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Hey, you cannot pay the debt. Christ has already paid it. Noah, his faith allowed him to apprehend not his way of salvation, but God's way of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. Thank God. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Lest any man should boast.